The artificial heart, will it become a reality in the future? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Matthew Sorrentino from the University of Chicago Hospitals, and with me today is Dr. Michael Siegenthaler. Dr. Siegenthaler is the Associate Professor of Surgery in the Division of Cardiac Surgery. He is the Director of Thoracic Endovascular Therapy and VAD Research and the Associate Director of the Artificial Heart Program at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Dr. Siegenthaler, welcome to our show. Thanks. Well, it's great for you to join us. We've heard so much about the artificial heart through many years. Is it really a reality? Is artificial heart going to become something we will see in the future? Well, it certainly has been probably one of the biggest mis-success stories or failures in modern medical history. If you look at projections in the late 60s, you know, people expected that within 5 to 10 years, 100,000 of these devices would be used per year in the U.S. alone, and this certainly has not been proven a reality. I think it's important that we make the distinction between the artificial heart and long-term ventricular assist device support, which a lot of people who do not work in the field use interchangeably. For surgeons who work in this field, the term artificial heart is really used for a device that gets placed in the patient's mediastinum after the native heart of the patient has been excised. So similar to the Charvik 7 heart, which has made headlines, I guess, in the 80s, in the last century. So the artificial heart is truly a complete replacement device, unlike a VAD, which assists a heart that is still left in place? Yes. In terms of assist devices, I think in the last 5 to 10 years, there have been tremendous progress in the management of these patients, and patients have been able to live much longer and live high-quality lifestyles, active lifestyles, which they were not able to lead before, especially the advent of rotary blood pumps, which are much smaller. Some of them even fit within the cavity of the left ventricle. With the advent of these pumps, it has been possible to support patients for very long periods of time. There has been two patients, for instance, with the Jarvik 2000 left ventricular assist device that have been supported over seven years and have been doing really well from a cardiac standpoint. On the other hand, the total artificial heart has been really a very, very difficult story. The original Jarvik 7 heart which now is called the Cardio West Heart, which a company by the name of Syncardia is selling, is still being used in a few centers in Europe and in the U.S. And the published results, if you actually look at them, are very good and comparable to left ventricular assist devices. However, these are highly selective studies which might not reflect the results that, you know, larger amount of centers could ever accomplish. So why has it been so difficult to come up with a truly artificial heart? It appears that pump technology has really advanced. We now have pumps that are smaller than a pencil, but yet we can't get a full artificial heart to work well. What has been the barrier to that? I think there is several reasons. First of all, you know, the market for patients who need a total artificial heart, which means they are patients who have severe 
biventricular heart failure and need chronic biventricular support, that patient population is much, much smaller than the patient population that will need chronic left ventricular support. So most patients, you know, when people started experimenting with these pumps, they were not aware that most patients actually get by fairly well with just left-sided ventricular support. So the patient cohort that will ever need these devices is much smaller. So currently, there really is just this CardioVest device, and Abiomed is launching the second round of their clinical trial with the so-called AbioCore device, which is still a fairly large device, but is really high-end technology, and we are all looking forward to see the results of these trials. The other factor that I think is crucial why these pumps might not be suitable for true long-term support is what I call the human factor. When we looked at our long-term lifetime use Charvik 2000 series in Europe, it was striking to see that most patients have accidental pump stops. You have to imagine these patients start living a fairly normal life, then they slam their Mercedes car door in the power cable and cut it apart, or they have a dog chew on the cable or the cable wears off and, you know, they forget to replace it. They forget their batteries when they go out for a dinner and all of a sudden their battery is empty. So all these things happen and are not a huge problem with a ventricular assist device because you still have native heart function that can bridge a gap where you don't have pump function. A total artificial heart, however, is a very different animal. If you have a cannula that's kinked for only five seconds or a power outage for a few seconds, the patient will immediately lose consciousness and, you know, will need someone there to make the device function again. So the human factor, I think, is one of the probably big impediments why lifetime support with these total artificial hearts are such a big problem because the heart can never, ever stop. Even for a few seconds, it cannot stop. If you are just joining us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Matt Sorrentino, and I'm speaking with Dr. Michael Siegenthaler, and we are talking about the reality of the artificial heart. I remember in the past, one of the major problems was blood clotting with many of these devices. Have we solved that problem, or is blood clotting with the true artificial heart or even with the VAD devices still a major problem? It is still a problem, and I think of all the problems that assist devices have, you know, infection is a big problem, which there has been tremendous improvement with the smaller drive lines that we use for the modern devices. Then mechanical failure has been a huge problem with the pusher plate devices that have multiple moving parts. These problems also have been solved with the rotary blood pumps. However, the thromboembolism still is a problem. It's better than it has been with those early devices like the Jarvik 7, but it is still a problem and has been the main problem, for instance, with the first AbioCore, first in men, AbioCore trial, thromboembolic events have been a problem, which led the company to redesign the device. They changed some things on the inflow, and hopefully this will be better in the future. One way where research is currently heading in the animal lab is the attempt to try to create a total artificial heart with two rotary blood pumps. So basically that a rotary blood pump would 
support the right side of the circulation after the heart is excised, and at the same time, uh, the left side of the circulation. There is uh, still a lot of unsolved problems with this technology, as you need special controllers that can, you know, somehow sync the two circuits. And there is a bunch of questions that have not been answered, but probably from a feasibility standpoint, this is, in my opinion, the most promising way for this technology to go. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the VAD technology. I know when they first came out, they were thought to be bridge therapy to stabilize a patient and then eventually get the patient a heart transplant. But now I understand we are using VADs as final destination therapy. How often are we using it in that way? Well, the problem is that the more modern rotary blood pumps, with the exception of the HeartMate 2 pump, they all are still in clinical trials. So destination therapy, the only approved device for that currently is the HeartMate XVE, which is the device that has been studied in the rematch trial. The problem with that device is that it was really never designed to do lifetime support. You know, there is bioprosthetic valves in there. There is a pusher plate. There is an electrical motor. And what happens after about a year to one and a half years of support this device starts to have mechanical failures. So the reluctance that surgeons have with this approved device is that if they have a patient who needs truly lifetime support, it's just not intuitive to put in a device that will fail within a year to one and a half years. So there is obviously pumps who who will have much better mechanical reliability in clinical trials But as you know, clinical trial cohorts are highly selective because obviously the manufacturers of those devices do not want to have too many adverse patient factors that could negatively influence the results of their long-term support. So it truly, destination therapy has not been a widely used option for the many patients that probably could benefit from this therapy in the future. Do you think that that will be a future direction, though? Do you think some of these newer pumps are going to be seen in patients as an outpatient and no thought of a heart transplant down the road for them? Yeah, and, you know, actually we are doing mathematical modeling to study, you know, how we could solve the heart failure epidemic, maybe with a completely new approach to look at the problem. As you know, there is hundreds of thousands of patients every year that have severe heart failure that would need a device or a transplant to have a reasonable prognosis. We know that the transplant numbers, even if much greater efforts than currently being done, would be invested, the transplant numbers probably will not increase much more from where they are currently. So it could be that, you know, 10 years from now that the approach will be completely different, that we have low morbidity pumps that if someone comes with severe heart failure, we put in these pumps and, you know, that's the treatment the patient gets. And only should they have a significant problem, let's say an infection of an assist device or thromboembolic events, or if they have a reason why they cannot be anticoagulated, only then we would move to the next step, which would be transplantation. And on an epidemiologic scale, I think this probably could allow a much broader treatment for this truly lethal disease of terminal heart failure. So that might well be, but currently people still think in the categories of bridge to transplant, 
and destination therapy or lifetime therapy and don't realize that there is a huge amount of overlap between those two populations and also patients who get a bridge to transplant device obviously for multiple reasons never get transplanted and vice versa destination therapy patients currently if they have significant adverse events associated with their device can become transplant candidates again and can be transplanted. Well, I want to thank Dr. Michael Siegenthaler, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the artificial heart and ventricular assist devices. I am Dr. Matt Sorrentino. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. Or call us toll-free with your comments and suggestions at 888-MD-XM-157. And thank you for listening.